electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Why one of Wall Street's most trusted strategists says stocks are sitting on a knife's edge. And what he says is the most important level you need to be watching right now. We're debating your money's next move with our investment committee today. Joining me for the hour, Stephanie Ling, Degas Wright, Josh Brown, Pete Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. I'll take you to the wall for our first look at stocks. They're seesawing once again today. Right now we're green. Dow's up 65. S&P's good for a fifth of a percent, nine points. NASDAQ's good for a quarter of a percent. That's 35. There's the Russell in the green as well today. All right, Josh, to begin with you, that strategist I mentioned, the most trusted, Tom Lee, says markets are going to keep, in his words, ping-ponging for a while. And he points out the 100-day moving average as the key level. What's so critical about that is we're right there. We're just above it now. In fact, right before I came on the air, we were right there. The S&P closed at 4361 yesterday. The 100-day moving average is 4360.54. We were fractionally higher than that. Um, do you feel like we are in a tenuous spot, Josh, or we're making too much of all of the risks? So on a short-term basis, I do think we're in a tenuous spot. And, you know, I'm, I'm watching that 100-day moving average as well, as well as the 50, the 200. But the funny thing about these imaginary lines that we draw is that when sentiment turns, they disappear in a second. Like they're not really there when you need them to serve as support. The only way to know if they will be is afterward. And then you could point back and sound very intelligent, as I often try to, and say, you see, the 100 day held, right? Um, so I, I think it's very, I think it's important to be aware of where those points are because a lot of money focuses on them, but just don't rely on them to bail you out. Here's what's going on. Here's what I'm seeing. There's a lot of chop out there, Judge. There really aren't a lot of great trends to latch on to. I'll give you a couple. Home Depot and Lowe's both look flawless. If you remember, they had that massive run in the spring. They pulled back. Now they're about to hit all-time highs. Meanwhile, the stock market peaked back in September. So you have like these little micro trends. Target and Walmart acting better. Financials and energy are the two strongest areas of the market add them together. They just ain't that big. Um, And then you've got a couple of interesting breakouts like MGM Resorts, which looks ridiculous today, right? Um, But outside of that, there just aren't that many trends. The FANG stocks are all over the place. Facebook's in a 17% drawdown. Not a lot of traction there. I guess you could be somewhat bullish about Tesla, Ford, GM, although none of them are making new highs. And healthcare is under pressure. So big picture, next week is the beginning of earnings season. Fortunately, it'll be kicked off by the banks, which should be good. But overall, we just had the second highest quarter 
of negative uh, pre-announcement stories uh, on the Bloomberg terminal, according to the Quants at Bank of America. Uh, there are a lot of companies complaining about labor, complaining about supply chain. That's not going to go away. So I think it's a little bit tenuous. It's going to be a tough earnings season. We'll be 24% higher year over year, according to consensus, which sounds amazing. But last quarter was 88% higher over its corresponding quarter from 2020. So it's just not going to be as good. And we're going to have to see how people handle that. Which is why, I guess, Steph, we, we can't get a trend going, as, as Josh was just talking about. We're, we're like worried about everything. Stagflation, <laughs> supply chains, the taper. I mean, you name it. One day there's seemingly a new worry. And just as you think we're going to have a breakout, it looks like the next moment we're, we're going to have a breakdown. Jamie Dimon, okay, J.P. Morgan's chief. Supply chain hiccups are going to soon ease. I should never do this, he said, but I'll make a forecast. This will not be an issue next year at all. This is the worst part of it. I think great market systems will adjust for it like companies have. Jim Cramer says stagflation worries are, are overblown um, as well. So I ask you, I mean, are we making too yeah. much of all of these risks? Is it all overblown? Yeah, we always worry about something or a lot of things, and it's, this is par for the course. I absolutely do not believe that we're seeing stagflation, not when you look at the consumer and how well off they're doing, and we'll get retail sales on Friday, and I think they're going to be better than expected, not when you look at manufacturing and an absolute V-shaped recovery with inventories at five-year lows. But the third quarter is going to be a little unusual, Scott, because of these supply chain issues and labor shortages. So you're going to see a little bit slower growth than we initially expected. I do think you're going to see a snapback in the fourth quarter and then into 2022 because the demand is there. So I step back and I'm listening to what companies are saying because that's what you know I do. I'm a fundamentalist, right? And I'm a long-term fundamentalist. Pepsi had 9% organic growth. Costco, two-year comp basis, had 28.4% same-store sales. Fastenal today an indicator of industrial demand and construction, they had double-digit revenues and earnings. And FedEx, even FedEx, as horrible as that quarter was in guidance, they saw 14% growth in uh, revenues. So my point is, the demand is there, consumer is fine, manufacturing is better than fine. It's all about cost controls and pricing power. And that's what makes this kind of an interesting market. There are haves and have-nots. I go back to FedEx, that's a have-not. I go to Levi's, that's a have. They were able to be ahead of the curve on pricing, on product, on sourcing, and they didn't get jammed up as a result. So in the end, it's stock picker's market. It does not change my view of cyclicals over defensives. I still own some uh, quality uh, technology companies, but I have been reducing my exposure in those names, and I'm now underweight big time in the FANG uh, complex uh, versus some of the other parts of technology. You know, I'm looking at the major averages, and uh, I'm noticing the same thing that probably all of you are noticing if you're looking at your screens. A, a pretty nice move in the last, I don't know, six minutes and 30 seconds since we've been on the air. Dow's up 100 points. s <laughs> proven a little bit. Um, I don't know what's going on with that. If we see a headline, I'll be certain to let you know, or if it's just the way the trading is at the moment. Degas. UBS says equity rally has further to run despite stagflation fears. Our base case is that the global economy can withstand higher energy prices and investors should continue to seek winners from global growth. So it's really the same question I ask Steph as others on Wall Street continue to weigh in and says there's just too much worry about something that's just not going to come to fruition. 
Yes, Scott, you know, I have a, a dinner uh, uh, investment club and we meet monthly. Uh, that includes uh, business owners, uh, wealth advisor, economists, and senior executive. And wh what we talked about is, is this really stagflation something that we need to be concerned about? And so if you look at stagflation, what is going on here is that do we have really rising costs and a demand imbalance that's really impacting spending capacity? And is that going to impact the economic growth? What we're seeing is that spending capacity is not being impacted. Let's let's look at the savings rate. It's up to 11 percent. It's at a very high level. If we look at the uh, fiscal stimulus with the infrastructure that's coming out. And then lastly, there's an additional investment to try to break up this bottleneck that's occurring in our harbors. So we really don't see the spending capacity aspect of stagnation occurring. So I, I agree with we're probably doing a little bit too much on a negative side on sentiment as it relates to stagflation because we see spending capacity continue in this market. I mean, it's not, it's not just we that. We will have some price. I'm sorry, I finished your thought. I thought you were done, Degas. My bad. No, no. I was going to say that we will get some inflation. It's going to be a little bit higher than the Fed target. You know, we're looking at about 3.6% uh, this year, maybe 23 but it's not going to be crippling uh, to our economic growth. Pete, we too worried or what? I mean, Marco Kalanovic, who, who I cite anytime he puts out a note because I know how closely followed he is. He says, stay overweight cyclical ass assets. You know, COVID's receding. That's the number one story above everything else. Stay overweight cyclicals. They remain or maintain a pro-risk allocation with a strong cyclical tilt again this month, he says. Um, and he's the one who says 10-year can go to two and a half. Oil can go to, you know, 130, I think was the number he threw out. And it's fine that the, the economy can absorb both. So what's the story here, Pete? Do you agree with your fellow committee members I or do you have a different take? No, I, I, I'll tell you what, I, I don't know that I would agree with the idea of where those interest rates would be at two and a half percent and then oil at 130, that everything would be fine. I think actually we would be a lot more concerned about a lot of different things. Obviously, we, uh, Steph was talking about wage inflation. Uh, we all know about the supply chain. Those are legitimate worries to have, but I don't think they need to dominate what we are looking at in the marketplace. And what we're seeing in the marketplace is energy has been on fire for almost the better part of a year. Financials have made a really nice turn and continue to do well, especially now that we're seeing the 10-year trade the way it's trading. So you look at industrials as well. You look at some of the material space. Yes, there is some uh, inflation going on. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. But I think it's something that people are digesting. And I you know, Jamie, Jamie Dime is right. Uh, by the time we get to the end of the year, we start getting into next year, I think people will feel a lot more comfortable about a lot of the things that are probably at the highest end of the list in terms of things to be worried about. So I think given that, I, I feel very comfortable about these markets right now. I think the markets have a, a decent shot at continuing this move to the upside, especially into this final three months. But it's going to obviously be hinging upon exactly where we are right now, which is earnings season. People are going to be focusing extremely close on this. How, who and how have people been able to, uh, to, to, to 
find their way through very, very difficult times. And I can tell you that I, as I go around, I do see a lot of stores that don't have everything on the shelves. I do see a lot of the different issues that we talk about each and every day in terms of supply chain and not getting things that we need to have, whether it's in Target or Walmart or any of the big box stores, Home Depot, whatever. And by the way, Home Depot... That, that stock, last week when I was on with you guys on Friday, I think somebody had just pulled down the price target, Scott. I think if you I got recall. downgraded. Right. I think the same day Depot and Lowe's it, were a pair downgrade. Yep. You're exactly right. And, and I disagreed with that then, and I continue to disagree. I look at where, where, for instance, Home Depot is trading right now. It's trading at a very – and I said this on Friday. The P.E. of it at a 22 – that's reasonable. That is not stretched. That's not crazy. That's not anything out of the ordinary. And when you look at what they've been able to do and continue to hold up at least reasonably well with supply chain, as long as they can hold on to that the way that they have and navigate that the way they have and Lowe's has, I think those are stocks that actually have plenty of room to the upside. I totally disagree with last Friday. I think these are names that have plenty of room. I mean, Steph, you're out there buying stocks. It just feels like the, the narrative got so negative so fast that Everybody just decided, yeah. okay, we're, here comes that correction. Um, even though Delta cases were, were rolling over hard, you can legitimately see the, the other side. You've had more and more good vaccine news or antiviral news. Um, I guess it's earnings and inflation and worries about margins. But when I look at what you're buying, you don't seem to be too worried. You bought Hilton Worldwide and Hewlett Packard Enterprises. Can you tell us about both? These are new buys. Yeah, they're new buys. Um, Hilton is reopened, obviously. And you know I own Expedia. You know I have owned Marriott. Um, it, it really hasn't pulled back. I was waiting for a pullback. But I believe very strongly in the reopen that we're going to get through this Delta and COVID. We're going to get through the supply chains eventually and that there is enormous pent up demand in consumer services. They've got two trillion dollars in excess savings, a nine point four percent savings rate versus historical average of five percent. They want to spend and I think they're going to go out and spend. And Hilton is such a well-run company. Um, they'll benefit from the consumer. They'll benefit from RevPAR improvements. They've done a great job on margins. They have fee growth. They have footprint growth. Leisure is already better now than July of 2019. Now we're waiting for business to recover, and it will. We have to just stay patient. So I wanted more exposure to reopen. Okay. Uh, interesting place. Rob Seachin, by the way, if you recall, when he was with us on Friday, he mentioned um, th- this as well. I also have an interesting note. You know, we got one side, we got cyclicals, we have reopen, and then, of course, we have tech and Internet and Evercore ISI's Mark Mahaney is out with a new note today that I found pretty interesting. I, I think you guys will, too. Um, he talks about who's most at risk heading into earnings um, and who are his. Actually, speaking of this, I, I'm told I have breaking news regarding Apple. Let's go to Josh Lipton, who can fill us in on what's happening here. Josh. So, Scott, we do have some news on Apple, which just now sending out formal uh, invitations here to its next event, Scott. The invitation simply reads, Unleashed. Please join us for a special Apple event broadcasting from Apple Park or watch it online October 18th. 10 a.m. Pacific. Also, Apple's Greg Joswiak, an executive there, uh, tweeting about this, saying, Unleashed these next six days, he says, are going to speed by. Of course, on September 14th, that's when Apple held its last big event. We got those new iPhones. We'll see what's coming here next. But again, mark your calendars. The next Apple event, October 18th, 10 a.m. Pacific. Scott, back to you. You have, uh, I mean, you, you're, you know this company better than anybody. Do you have any idea what, what we could be talking about? 
here? Are we looking at more hardware, <laughs> some software? What, what do you think? Hardware could certainly be a bet. Of course, that's speculation on my part, Scott. But um, you look at some of their product line, you think about the Mac, um, certainly a product that saw tremendous tailwinds during the pandemic. So many of us were learning, playing and working from home. But we'll find out soon enough when when Tim Cook, we would expect, takes the stage. I just bought a new MacBook Pro yesterday. They better not have an upgrade already, Josh Lipton. All right, Josh, thank you. Uh, back to our conversation. Uh, as we look at Apple, Apple shares trading a touch, uh, touch lower. So, again, most at risk heading into earnings, he says, is Amazon. Now, I don't want you to take that and say, oh, my gosh, you know, Mark Mahaney's negative on Amazon because it's that's not the case. Amazon is still his number two overall pick for the Internet space. However, he says, as it relates to Amazon's earnings and Steph, I'm, I'm going to go to you on this. He says the street's revenue growth assumptions are, quote, a bit aggressive And the street's operating income assumptions are, quote, very aggressive, given margin headwinds, the kind of we were just talking about, wage increases, inventory buildup, elevated marketing costs. You're underweight Amazon. You're one of the few people I know who has come on and said I'm underweight Amazon and that it's a source of funds for you. So how do you bridge all this? Okay, it's most at risk, but it's still one of my best picks, he says. Right. Well, I mean, you can have a long-term view and a short-term view. I mean, the long-term view is very compelling with retail e-commerce growing to $7 trillion total addressable market by 2026 and cloud on fire. Only 15% of the workloads are in the cloud. So there's certainly room there, ample room there. And I think their digital advertising business also has a lot of upside potential as well. But the short term, yeah, they got wage pressures, logistic cost issues. They've got very tough comparisons. So I just don't, so I agree with Mark long-term. But short term, I also agree with him, and I just think that I'll get a better opportunity maybe to add it back should you see a pullback. I just don't see a catalyst to own this thing maybe into next year. So I, f- I use it as a source of funds because I do like some of the semiconductors. One of my new names that we didn't talk about, Hewlett Packard Enterprises, I used a little bit of cash there to buy more of that um, or to buy that. And I've been adding more all, all week long. Um, and I, I have been buying back uh, Fortinet, as we talked about last week. So I see more upside elsewhere. And I see maybe kind of ho-hum results in, in Amazon. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to go a little bit more underweight than name if I see better opportunities uh, in, other, in these other uh, sectors. Wow. Josh, you want, you want to take that on? Josh, I mean, that's about as negative negative as I've heard on Amazon shares from somebody, certainly on the committee. Yeah. Amazon's going to 5,000. This is going to be Amazon Christmas. People last year that never would have done online shopping for something like the holidays, like that was 100% of how they shopped. They're not going to go back to the old ways. So I think the adoption curve for e-commerce has sped up. Cloud is on fire. Uh content is on fire, they're, they're, the grocery store rollout, the touchless uh, retail stores, et cetera. Like, I, I think that they've made huge investments. They've, they've, they've taken on a lot of new expenses related to COVID, et cetera. Everybody's aware of the workforce stuff. Okay, that's obviously in the stock. If you're reading about it in the New York Times, you have no edge, like trying to figure out what, what it means for forward price because everybody gets that. So I think the big picture here is Dominant player in a fast-growing area, uh, huge economies of scale, stocks going up. Tegas? But if, if oh, wait, Josh, I'm sorry, I'm Josh, sorry. Go ahead, if, Steph. If Go ahead, Steph. Well, I was just going to simply say, if everything is so on fire and they're going to blow it away and get to 5,000 by the end of the year, why is the stock flat year to date? 
I just explained it. Well, They've been you know, making uh, huge investments Steph, I, in on, the workforce, Josh, in oh, the infrastructure. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Continue. I'll get you in a second, Degas. Go ahead, Josh. They've made huge investments. They told us they would. Bezos stepped down. They've had a leadership transition. Uh, the, the fangs haven't necessarily been in favor this entire time. There's a lot that goes into that stew, but uh, I think if you look at this consolidation period as your opportunity, stock has basically been catching its breath since last summer. So you're not really paying up for it. Earnings have grown, but the share price hasn't. Multiple is contracted, and the next, uh, you know, the next time it breaks out of that consolidation period, there won't have been a catalyst. There won't be a reason. We'll just like look back and be like, oh yeah, that's why it broke out. It'll be too late. So I think you want to own dominant names like this when they haven't performed for a long time. I'm not sure why I'd want to pay higher. I don't for disagree. It. I don't disagree. I just think that cybersecurity. There are some software names that have done really, really well, far better than any of the fangs, quite frankly. So it's your opportunity cost. It's we your agree. opportunity cost in terms. Yeah. So it, this is a longer term hold, which is what I mentioned. But short term, I just don't I don't see the catalyst because I don't see these pressures short term going away okay. in the near term. All right. Degas, settle it. Maybe that's the ca- maybe yeah, that's so the catalyst that the market doesn't see these pressures going away. And then when they do, yeah. you know, the stock probably moves in advance of that. All right, Degas. Yeah, so what we're seeing is that this is where there's significant analyst disagreement on earnings expectation because they don't understand all the parts as Josh just laid out. So what we're looking at is that where's the valuation on a relative basis, but also the profitability and the expectations of earnings forecast. This is where you can actually look at Amazon, do the valuation, do the work on it and see all the parts that make up the whole. So that's why we I'm agreeing with Josh on this. Amazon has a lot of upside to it. All right. Pete, last word to you. You have calls in Amazon. Yeah, I do. And I'm not in this name very often, but I got to tell you something. And, and I, Josh brought it up, and I think it's exactly right. When you look at this company, Amazon, years and years and years, we looked at this company. We looked at the P.E. and said, oh, my gosh, has it ever stretched? Now the forward, forward P.E., somewhere in the mid-40s. So it hasn't done a whole lot. But I agree. I think this is a coil spring ready to take off. I'm not sure about the 5,000 level. I think that's pretty aggressive. But... I could easily see this stock actually hitting some of the numbers and exploding through some of the numbers over the next couple of quarters and be a stock that's trading significantly higher than it is right now because it hasn't performed. So I, I do see all of that in front of us, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see it all play out. Remember, this is really a cloud company, right? I mean, that is their major dominance. Obviously, e-commerce is great and all the rest of it, but the cloud portion of that, and that's what I always like to go back and compare to a Microsoft, to some of the other names out there. This is a name that finally is comparable when you're looking at PEs, especially given the growth that they've got and the dominance that they've got. All right, least at risk. Hey, th- th- thanks, thanks to Pete for bringing that up. I just I want to add one thing to that really quickly, okay. some numbers to that, because I think that's a really good point. The stock on a forward one-year basis, assuming no upgrades in in earnings at all, is about 48 times. Uh, I would point out the five-year median forward uh, uh, P.E. ratio is 99. It's trading at half of what it used to over the last five-year period. So all those pressures that people can cite, yeah, we know. It's in the stock. Um, In the meantime, this company is going to grow faster than Tesla next year. Tesla is trading 420 times. So I just I feel like people really need to think about 
uh, the fact that, yes, of course, there are reasons why Amazon has been under pressure. We all know what could get better, what, what, could, what could start to ease as those pressures ease into next year, if that's what we all think, Amazon will be as big a beneficiary as any other stock that we can name. I'm still thinking in the back of my mind, too, about a possible stock split down the road, like we talked about and speculated on and asked the that, question that'd about. That would be good for 15% the day they announce it. I just can't imagine Scott, that there they're, are 100% they're not buys. There are, there are 100% buys from the sell side on this stock. Yeah. Who's left to upgrade? Well, that's it? not surprising to me either. So that's just something. Link I don't is. Need, what do I no, need upgrades for? No, it's not. Link is. <laughs> You're the only one left. <laughs> that's right. I, I might be the only one, but yeah. I made a whole ton of money in Fortinet. That's up over 100% in the meantime. Hey, right? well, Josh so would tell there's you a lot of other well, opportunities. But Josh would tell you, well, well, he made a ton of money that's in CrowdStrike, That has nothing to do with it. It's like. Right. It's like that apples has, and that oranges. That has literally nothing to do with it. That has nothing to do with anything. It has everything to do with it because it it's all about stock picking and making money and outperforming. Okay. And you're not outperforming right. owning Amazon I own, right I own now. venture-backed private companies that are up 5x in the, in the, in the last couple of years. Look, I right. don't look at one investment versus another on an arbitrary time frame because it's very possible to own Amazon and make that kind of return just maybe not last year, maybe next year. Like it's it's – I think just to focus on, like, is there an opportunity in this stock, I would just say I'd rather be in it than betting against it. And, yes, it's okay to be neutral and be equal weighted. That's all I'm trying to say. I'm not saying it's going to outperform every other possible invest. Listen, I think Bitcoin's going to 100000 By that logic, is Amazon an opportunity cost? Potentially. Okay, let's, but we can't have 100% of our assets in the top performing stock me, at all times. Let me move, Nobody let can me, really do that. Let me, let me move on, if, if, I, if I could, um, to the least, according to Mark Mahaney, the least at risk heading into earnings. And, Josh, it's going to funnel back to you because he says it's Uber, which is, by the way, his number one overall mega cap Internet-related pick. Okay? Um, least at risk is Uber. $70 target. It's a 50% upside from here. That makes sense to you, Josh Brown? I hope he's right. I'm long. I've been long. Uh, this was considered a quote-unquote opportunity cost also until it ran from 30 to 47. This is another name where everybody is well aware of the pressures, political pressures, lawsuits, jurisdictions. Uh, you know, we, we all understand the drivers had to get paid more to come back to work, blah, blah, blah. I, again, I feel like all of that is in the stock. What's not in the stock is those pressures starting to come off next year uh, as more people come out to drive and some of these political battles getting resolved. And as those things happen, you see the, the food delivery business remaining on fire, even coming into the recovery. That's another area where adoption has led to this being a lifestyle change. And now you get people traveling again, maybe not for business as fast, but you get people moving around again, going back to work again. This stock works. So this is this is a name that peaked out in like uh, in February, March. It's been consolidating below those highs. I think we're going to challenge those highs once again. All right. There is the uh, stock. I know all the bad news. We all do. Yeah. Uh, approaching one and a half percent gain. Highs of the day uh, for shares of Uber. We're going to take a quick break. I want you to check out this mystery chart. It's up 50% this year, and now a bullish new call today says it can go up another 45%. Two of our committee members own it, which means we're going to debate it, along with some other names in our calls of the day. We're back in two minutes.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. A key health panel says that most older Americans should not take low daily doses of aspirin to prevent a first heart attack or stroke. The group says that the increased risk of bleeding outweighs any benefits for people 60 and older who have not had a heart attack or stroke. The Brooklyn Nets sidelining their unvaccinated starting point guard Kyrie Irving. The Nets general manager says that Irving will not play or practice with the team until he can play in all of the team's games. New York requires all professional athletes be vaccinated to play or practice in city venues. And on the news, reaction to the abrupt resignation of Las Vegas Raiders coach John Gruden. Will the NFL need to do more in the wake of Gruden's racist, homophobic and misogynistic emails? That's tonight at 7 Eastern. And the International Monetary Fund's board voicing full confidence in the fund's managing director, Kristalina Georgieva. This following a probe into allegations that she pressured staffers to change business rankings to benefit China while she was a World Bank official. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. We do have some breaking news and some headlines from the Atlanta Fed president, Rafael Fostic. He's speaking at the Peterson Institute of International Economics. The text of his speech says, quote, I continue to believe currently elevated inflation is episodic, driven by pandemic conditions such as disruptions in supply chains and labor markets. The major caveat, though, is that the severe and pervasive supply chain issues will probably last longer than most of us initially expected. So those are the headlines that are moving just now from the Atlanta Fed Press. We'll keep you up to date on any move that we see uh, correlated to that tenure. 159. You also had some headlines earlier uh, today. Uh, from uh, the Fed's Clarida as well, who said the taper timeline on track, that he expects that to to begin later this year. All right, shares of MGM, they hit a new high, 52-week high today. The casino operator upgraded to outperform at Credit Suisse. The price target more than doubled to 68 from 33. Degas, you own it. There it is. Nice move. Woo. Exactly. Great move. And so if you look at MGM, it has a light asset model that's doing really well. Plus, it owns 50% of the rooms in Las Vegas, and also it has a, a very uh, limited exposure to McLeod. And then if, on top of that, uh, basically they're getting their, uh, they have a solar facility that provides electricity to their properties in Las Vegas. And then lastly, we have BetMGM. That is a growth engine for MGM. So 
positives all the way around. We really like the stock, and it's going to continue to run. So this is a stock to hold. Okay. Do you see a lot of activity in this, Pete? I sure did. As a matter of fact, last Friday, Scott, of the unusuals, that was one of the two unusuals that we had. Actually, we ended up with three of those. But, um, yeah, MGM, they, they absolutely were buying calls, Scott, that we talked about. 8,000 of those calls, they were the November 44 calls, and the stock was trading actually closer to 45 at the time. So what, why would they do that? They were getting a little bit more leverage. Rather than buying an out-of-the-money call like we oftentimes see, this was getting a little bit more re- leverage. It was going to move like stock, and it's moved extremely well. Those options went from $3 to $5 since Friday's hit. And as a matter of fact, today we had even more buying. We had October 46 call buying, again, in the money calls, so aggressively positioning 5,000 of those going up uh, today as well. Those actually expire at the end of this week. So somebody looking for the stock that's already over 47 and now over 48 to continue this move in this path to the upside. I think the most important thing here is this. Las Vegas Sands and Wind, because of their exposure, are very, very, they have been, I should say, very, very toxic. And I think when you look over at MGM, you see a much different, all you've got to do is put all three onto a chart and you can see exactly what I'm talking about. So as much as I've liked Wynn and Las Vegas Sands in the past, I think because of what they've got going on with Macau and everything else across the, the pond, um, that's an issue. But I think you look at MGM, they just continue to crank, and this is a company that's done really well, Degas just defined. They continue to have more and more. They just made another acquisition from the Cosmopolitan as well. So they continue to build in terms of everything that they've got in Las Vegas. Okay. Um, Steph, you must have a different opinion here than Pete does because you say you have a quote-unquote huge position in win. And you cite the fact that MGM's fine, but it's already up 50% this year. Yeah, it's just not my style to buy something up 50%. And kudos to those that own the stock, right? So I've been wrong. They've been right. But Wynn is now down 35% from its highs. It's down 20% for the year. And I know we have concerns about Macau, which is about 60% of EBITDA, 70% pre-pandemic, about 60% right now. It's worth watching the government. I do not think they're going to lose their licenses. I think the CEO on CNBC a couple of weeks ago was very up to upbeat. So was MGM about Macau, by the way. Um, and, and, and they all have been diversifying, when included. They have Boston properties. They have Las Vegas. They're online betting, sports betting, which is a $45 billion total addressable market opportunity. And they have $3.9 billion in liquidity. While we wait to figure out what happens with Macau, it trades at nine times EBITDA versus 11.5 times historical average. And so to me, that's tr- I'm trying to buy low. I wish I didn't own it higher. I, but I'm actually averaging down because I do think that there is upside if you give it some time. Let me ask you what, about one more thing before we go. Uh, Steve Tuza, J.P. Morgan, <laughs> he's the number one ranked industrials analyst. He says GE, General Electric, one of your favorite stocks, could be overvalued by 20 percent or more. His, uh, the target's 55. No, the target can't be 55. It's got to be a typo. What is, um, what's your comment? <laughs> yeah, they reverse split, remember? So that's probably, you have to adjust for that. Um, I, I, I don't know what else you want the CEO to do. He's restructuring the company. The He's shrinking split. to grow. He, I'm sorry. I forgot about yeah, yeah. the reverse split. I was like, 50, so, 55? <laughs> Tuza? No way. <laughs> right, right. I thought it was a typo. I thought it was five. <laughs> You're right. I thought it was five. 
Yeah, it didn't didn't go from like 12 to 100 (laughs) on fundamentals, even though I would have liked that to have happened. But anyhow, so the CEO is doing everything he said he was going to do. Restructurings take a very, very long time, but he is shrinking to grow the company. He's made a bunch of asset sales. He is also building the growth businesses in aviation, in renewables. Uh, in healthcare, I love the, new, the latest deal that he did in healthcare. Uh, he is improving free cash flow. They beat free cash flow last quarter by $500 million, and they're on track to do $5 billion this year. The stock trades on free cash flow, and if free, free cash flow um, is uh, doing well and surprising to the upside, you want to own the stock. Okay. It's been a nice run for semiconductor stocks this year, but pulling back over 6% in the last month. Obvious reasons there. Should you buy the dip? As we head into their earnings, plus Pete's got unusual activity, as usual, when we come back. The pandemic and its supply chain effects are accelerating a generational shift in consumer behavior towards sustainable foods and healthy living, according to Cowan Research. Oat-based dairy, for example, is expected to grow tenfold by 2026. Cowan says companies like Fresh Pet, Sanopta and Oatly, which are all down big in the past three months, are best positioned to capitalize on the trends. And that's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Semis are up about 15% this year. They have been selling off over the past month, down about 7% in that time. City is out with a new note today. We find that interesting. No downturn in semis yet. Lead times are still extended. Stay on offense, they say. And they throw out names that you guys are all over. Steph, NXP Semi, on the list. Degas, Texas Instruments, on the list. Pete, Micron is there. They also have other buy-rated stocks, including NVIDIA, which is Josh, obviously. Degas, Texan, go first. Yeah, so... This company is provider of chips to the auto industry, and we all know that the auto industry is using more and more chips. And so this is a company that you definitely want to buy. Uh, it has great valuations at this level and also profitability going forward. Outstanding, strong earnings expectations on this company. All right. Steph, NXP, if I recall, you have been adding to this recently, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Over the last couple of weeks, I took my Amazon money and I put it into NXP and HPE and a lot of different names, too. Down 19 percent, trades at 18 times. It, too, has auto exposure. I think there's going to be the shutdown this year will lead to pent up demand next year, extending the cycle. And I think they're going to be able to increase content uh, by, by twofold basically because of EV and also driver assistance. So I like this company. They're buying back stock. They raise their dividend. They're doing all the right things. Pete, Micron. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, its performance is really lacking, Scott, and that's been frustrating for me. But that being said, I still like the name. I think they've done a lot of things right there in the data data storage area for sure. They are in 5G. They've got all the right parts of the marketplace, I think, to distribute to, but they have not performed the way I'd like. So I'm a little bit disappointed in this name. I've got a couple other names. I've got Marvell and I've got Intel, but this name's definitely struggled. Josh Brown, NVIDIA, take that one. 
Look, this is a stock that tends to move in spurts. It, it, it doesn't typically trend. Uh, it is a catalyst-driven stock. Often that catalyst arrives around earnings time. Um, this has been a stellar performer, one of the best-performing names in the market over the last five years, uh, really almost 10 years at this point, and I'm sticking with it. I think the best is yet to come. Much more than chips going on here. All right. All right. Thank you for that. Do not miss Pete's latest unusual activity trades next on The Half Plus. As you know, it's Hispanic Heritage Month, and we're spotlighting CNBC contributors, business leaders, and our very own colleagues. Here is Nuveen's CEO, Jose Minaya. We empower our Latinx community with the hope and the promise of the American dream. My parents came here looking for that American dream, and they found it in making a better home and giving me the opportunities for a better life. We also empower the community by giving them a path to citizenship, which gives them a voice and a vote to influence our society. All right, Pete, unusual. All right, I'm going to start off with energy, and I know I bring that up almost every time that I come on now, Scott, but that's how often things like this are hitting. So BP is the one that I'm looking at right now. In a year, it's nearly doubled. It was 16 bucks a year ago. Here it is trading at 29 and while it's trading at 29 we had a big size trade here that I think is really important to point out because we don't see it in a single print like this very often. 16700 in a single print. So in other words, one buyer of the January 32 calls. Those are going for about $0.70. Cents. But that was pretty aggressive, Scott, something we hadn't seen in a little while. Plus, we're going out in time. It gives us a lot more time than a lot of the unusual options that we have been seeing. Next, I've got for you is Coca-Cola. Now, this is one that's really interesting as well because it is shorter term. This is October. These expire very quickly, the October 55 calls. Stock was trading just below this. They bought 20,000 of those calls, Scott, from 12 cents up to 30 cents. Just looking for a little bit of a move. We've got today, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, then these expire. So that's going to happen, have to happen really, really quickly. But it's interesting to see the very short term in Coke for a little bit of a spike and the BP buying a little bit of time because energy's been on fire. This is a name that has not hit very often. Well, it hasn't hit very often for investors either because its year to date is down one half of 1% our shares of KOP. I mean, it's been a disappointment. Let's just say what it is. Yeah. Yep. It, it, well, it's, a, it's been a disappointment. Coke has. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, it's interesting, Scott. It's still a great company. They've done a lot of things right, but they just haven't been able to get people excited oh, about so the stock. Good. And that's something they obviously have to work on. Yeah. That defines a great company. I mean, drinks are good. All right, Pete, thank you. The committee is ready to answer your questions next and Ask Halftime. Plus, CNBC's At Work Summit returns tomorrow with a packed lineup of influential voices in the future of work, including... Bridgewater's Ray Dalio, Michael Dell, and more. You can register now at CNBCEvents.com slash WorkSummit. Halftime's back right after this. It's time now for Ask Halftime. Let's take a listen to this video question for Josh Brown. Hi, this is Niv from Raleigh, North Carolina. This question is for Josh Brown, and this is regarding uh, the stock Gilead, ticker symbol G-I-L-D. 
Uh, I bought this a while back seeing the wonderful PE ratio as well as um, as well as the fact that the company gives very good dividends but it has dipped significantly since then. Um, I was wondering whether it's whether I should hold it or if I should sell it. Uh, I am a long-term investor and I own all the FANG stocks since 2012 and as you know they have done extremely well but this one has been a bummer. So any advice from you Josh uh, will be greatly appreciated on Gilead. Uh, thank you. All right, Nip, we're going we're gonna to do better than just Josh. We're going to give everybody a crack at this in, in one way or another. But, Josh, you, you take the first. The question was directed at you. Yeah, I don't, I don't really follow the stock very closely, but I would just say as like a rule of thumb, a low P.E. ratio is often indicative of a not very exciting outlook. So the fact that it's underperformed Moderna shouldn't really be a surprise. Most of the um, interest around COVID treatments has been on the vaccines so far, not quite as much on the treatments, uh, although there is a possibility the FDA could upgrade them from emergency use authorization of remdesivir uh, to a more widespread use or an earlier use. They are reviewing data right now. So maybe that would be an upside catalyst. I don't think you're taking a lot of risk in the stock. Uh, A 4% yield is a little bit of a cushion, and there don't appear to be high expectations for the AIDS franchise here uh, or even the cancer franchise, which is something they just acquired. So I think there's a lot of potential ways to win here. Uh, I would would stick with it uh, and and, and wait and see if there's something to come. Yeah. Pete feels your pain, Niv. I mean, he owns it. He's been sticking with it, too, kind of disappointed um, at the outlook in that. Stephanie Link, from my notes, says you think it's cheap for a reason. You don't really love it. Um, and Degas, the big news from you today is not related to Gilead. It's related to Regeneron. Uh, it's a new buy for you. Yes, uh, uh, Scott, Regeneron is a new buy because this is a, around that analyst disagreement, significant around the earnings forecast. What we see is strong relative valuation, top decile profitability, and also forward expectations on revenues and earnings based on its current drugs and drug pipeline. So we really like Regeneron. All right, there it is, REGN, with a little bit of a gain today. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Hi, Steph. Final trade. What do you have? United Healthcare, it's down 5% from its highs. It's the number one player in the industry with very strong execution and free cash flow growth. I expect further M&A dividends and buybacks. Right. I like it into the quarter. Thank you. Digus? Fortinet is benefiting from demand for data privacy and protection. Well, I heard that name earlier today. All right. Uh, Josh Brown? Uh, GM heading back toward that high from earlier this year. I like it. Okay. And Pete? MGM, Scott, they keep coming for more. They just bought another 15,000 upside calls in MGM. This stock's going higher. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. Thanks for watching as well. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. 
Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.